And then it answers the question, where the fuck is Bruges? It's in Belgium. in Belgium. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched in Bruges. Well, well, well. It finally happened. I, um, I saw in Bruges when it came out. I loved it. I've seen it probably 10 or 20 times since then. And about two or three years ago when it came on Netflix, I told you and your girlfriend that you needed to watch it. And then I brought it up a couple times after that, and you just seemed to be very dismissive. And then it sort of got to the point where I brought it up too much, and you guys just decided not to watch it. And so I had to agree to do a podcast and go 50 episodes in to get you to finally watch in Bruges. So, Alon, what did you think? Well, first of all, every great friendship needs a running joke, much like a 90s sitcom. And also, I guess we can just quit now, right? Because I watched it, she watched it, you got what you wanted, and we're done. Um, I liked it. It was not what I, I uh, expected. It was a lot... Well, you already kind of told me, you know, dark comedy. But I should have known the, uh, the Brits made it much darker, much drier, uh, which in turn just made it much more comedic. Uh, so I thought there were some jokes. A lot of the jokes really landed for me. I thought they were really funny, uh, especially like when it got really, really dark. And then some was like, okay, uh, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell sometimes, right? That's with uh, dr uh, dry humor, when it's actually trying to be funny or when it's not. But I think uh, I think overall it 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 pretty much hit the nail on the head of trying to be its own thing, which I appreciate. Yeah, you know, it's funny in a, I think, deleted part of our Wind River episode that you said that Native American actors are really good at like dry, deadpan humor. And then after this, I think, I think this movie may have topped that. Well, um, especially, especially this writer, uh, Martin McDonough, who wrote it and then also directed it. And then he, uh, his brother, Jonathan Michael McDonough, who's written like, three movies that I really love, The Guard, Calvary, Calvary, and then War on Everyone. Um, so like those two are, are ones that I'll watch anything that, that they, you know, that they make. And this is, um, the, this is the same guy with three billboards though, right? Right. So yeah, his brother directed those three I just mentioned. He directed three billboards and then also seven psychopaths, which you also haven't seen. So three billboards to Ebbing, Missouri is one of my favorite films it definitely was probably my favorite film that year it came out well first of all the writing between the two you can even find a lot of correlation um especially sam rockwell's character in three billboards because he delivers lines that are like so funny but in the most like dim-witted manner i love it right I, and i do think though there was a little bit of backlash to three billboards when it came out because you have a british writer director who's like kind of doing a commentary on like social and racial issues in america i know i heard some you know some things i listened to talk about that um but we're more you know in bruges being more you know was more popular or had less of that criticism because he's you know dealing with british irish you know european you know, social and racial issues, it, which kind of reminds me of how people um, really loved Inglorious Bastards and people also really loved Django Unchained, but they were more like tempered in their love of Django Unchained, at least like American critics, because it's like, you know, that's our past. Um, right. And I think that McDonough and Tarantino are at least a little similar in like, they're very flashy movies. They're very quick-witted dialogue, um, and they can be offensive. Um, well, the thing... Not, not purposely offensive, but th they just kind of say what they want, and, um, you know, they're, they're saying things that are offensive, but they're coming from bad people, so... The thing with In Bruges, right, is that there is... I was going to say American, but I, I think you find out later that they're Canadian. Um, and then they do make like a, a strike at Americans saying how fat we all are. Right. And, uh, 
But then again, with three billboards, the villain, you know, Sam Rockwell being like the main antagonist during a majority of the film almost becomes like an anti-hero um, of the movie by the end of it. And I kind of like, it's a, it's a fine line, right? He's stepping on a fine line trying to express American, you know, Southern or Midwestern problems, but then also not really, you know, making that line of moral grayness very apparent in law enforcement and, you know, whatever. But here, I think uh, <laughs> this movie is hilarious in the way that it, it forget about like the gray line of, of morality in this film. Everyone is uh, an asshole and, and everyone kind of like, in a way, deserves what they got by the end of the film. When I think even Ken, uh, played by Brendan Gleeson, kind of says that, right? Like, he tries to be a good person. He's t- I, I love the story about it. He's like, you know, if I see an old lady, you know, taking her groceries out, it's like, well, I'm not going to take them all the way home, but, you know, I will open the door for her. Um, you know, so he tries to be a good person, but at the same time, he's like, I kill people. He's like, you know, not all, most of them were bad people, but not all of them. And so it's like, it's interesting to make you, the movie makes you like these characters that are bad people. Like every single one of them is a bad person. You know, Colin Farrell uh, killed a little kid, maybe unintentionally, but he's also, he's becoming a hitman. Um, Brendan Gleeson has killed people. I, I even like Harry Waters played by Ray Fiennes um, just because of how funny he is. And that's also another point of this is just like, it's, this movie is hilarious. I'm, I'm, you know, I, every time I watch it, I'm laughing through most of the scenes. But it's also just with even without the jokes, really kind of well in, well written and a very interesting story. That opening monologue is so great because it kind of establishes a whole bunch of things right off the bat, right? It basically gives us, you know, the situation and then it answers the question, where the fuck is Bruges? It's in Belgium. In Belgium. Um, and I, I don't know. Cause I haven't, I didn't really do any research on like Bruges tourism, but do you know if this brought any, like anything to Bruges or is Bruges already like a pretty well-known Belgian town? I have no idea. I, um, I did look up and they, so they filmed actually in Bruges, which is cool. And the, uh, the town in order to, uh, make this seem more like festive and holiday-like because it you know this is actually kind of a christmas movie you know there's but the town actually left up christmas and holiday decorations through march on some of the streets just for filming purposes and like had to put out like a letter to the residents to let them know this was happening um they seem like really into it which is well like the town like the township seemed really into having their town um being made horribly fun at for the entirety of the movie I guess, but I I, like, I guess a good place to start is like, I'm sort of team Ken, like Brendan Gleeson on, I would enjoy Bruges. Right. I've been to towns like small little, you know, Belgian towns. I mean, here in America, but still. Like, what's an example of your Bruges comparison? For me, I've been to Solvang in California, and then there's Helen in Georgia. Which, you know, they're just kind of like tourist traps, but they're still like quaint and, and nice. So yeah, I think me too. I'm on Ken's side. I would, especially if I knew this was just temporary, I would enjoy it while it lasted. I do kind of agree with Colin Farrell though, two weeks when he finds out two weeks that one, he's going to be stuck in Bruges where he doesn't want to be. And then two, he's going to be stuck in one room with Ken for the entire time. See, I would have a problem with that being stuck in one room for two weeks with a with a dude. Um, the the other <laughs> the the other thing is is that, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but the sheer irony how the whole movie goes on and on about how much he like fucking hates this town, and then of course his boss put him there specifically 
to enjoy his last moments is like it's great it's a great moment in the film no absolutely i i do think they are like the the way that they get them to share a room too is like such a common movie like device where oh we're all booked up and you didn't you didn't book two rooms so you have to share a room and there's absolutely nothing we can do in the town's booked up which they say because of christmas so um once again continuity christmas movie there we go um the hints that they give you on like what is troubling Colin Farrell for this whole movie is great. And I didn't quite put it all together until my second watch. Cause right off the bat, when they're in the room together, um, you know, Ken makes a slide, uh, a slide at Ray about, you know, Ray's complaining about being in Bruges. And then Ken said something like, Oh, well, we're only here because, He's like, I really don't want to have to say this. Well, you know. He's like, like, yeah, he's like, how could you bring this up? And he goes to the bathroom to have like a little cry to himself about it. And at that point, you have no idea why. And then I was like, wow, they're already planting the seed like this early in the movie. I don't even think it was like 10 minutes into the film. Right. I I do think one of the, you know, I'm a huge Colin Farrell fan. I think that's because of this movie. Because I think his acting is pretty incredible in such like a funny movie, but even like the more serious parts, because, you know, Ken's like, oh, you know, I don't want to bring this up. He's like, what are you even talking about? He's like, and he just kind of gives him a look. He's like, what the fuck did you have to bring up that for? Like starts crying. Well, I mean, what's so great about Colin Farrell is that he's playing this like, and I love the the marketing for this movie too, because all the posters and stuff I see on like, you know, whatever, it's all like Colin Farrell looking super cool like he's jumping over buildings and shit and stuff and then he's just this like really pathetic kind of guy i mean yeah he's a hitman which is supposed to be like really cool in 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 movies and stuff but he's just this really sad kind of loser you know in this movie you would think on paper colin farrell is like the most badass character he gets the girl he's a hitman he's running from his boss who's trying to kill him but he doesn't really know that but in actuality, he's this guy who, you know, can't get his foot out of his mouth, like lucks into getting this girl to go out with him by like making fun of her town and saying very inappropriate things about dwarfs. Um, it's, it's probably like one of the most loser characters that like you'll see Colin Farrell play. So, you know, you say he lucks into a lot of stuff, which I agree with. And it's just lucky that she's so tolerant of him. But also he like, he has a lot of really really shitty luck in this movie too right because like all right so we could go on and on and on and like totally dissect this movie about how like every funny line in this film and then our our podcast could be like three hours long right but i would suggest for anyone who likes dark british humor just watch this film you know you won't be disappointed the other the other point there too is if we made the same jokes in 2020 on a podcast and people heard it um you know that's like i don't think this humor translates as well 12 years later as far as like how like the people it kind of goes after and the subjects it touches on the only reason i would say that that i don't agree with you on that is because the people saying these like you know non-politically correct jokes are supposed to be like these really bad out of touch people and it works for their character it's not like you're trying to like uh it's not like the movie is agreeing with this point it's just being like hey there are these kind of people in this world and they're gonna say some shitty things you know yeah but i mean even tarantino still dealt with that in his you know in Django and in Glorious Bastards, maybe even a little bit in Once Upon a Time, so in Hollywood. And so I think most people do get that. I'm just, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's over a decade later, so I would be curious if this had come out now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moments in this movie that are just like uh, so dry or like the delivery is so dry and it kind of hides the joke. Um, I would say this film is all about setup, right? Like some of this stuff out of context wouldn't be funny, but the way the film sets it up, you know, throughout, it hits these like really big uh, payoff moments. Uh, one that I really like, and 
on the on the flip side of that, some of the jokes just hit you straight in the face. And one of the jokes that I think does that so well is that when uh, Ray and Ken are having that conversation about um, if someone came at you with a bottle and and you know that's a that's a dangerous weapon now it's self-defense or and then they had this whole thing about like this 50 50 year old man what is what would he know about karate it sets this whole joke up and then like 20 30 minutes later into the film they're at a restaurant these canadians get like you know wise ass with uh with colin farrell's character and, and his girlfriend or the girl he's on a date with and then he just punches the guy, his, the Canadian's date, the girl comes at him with a bottle and just the line, huh, a bottle, and then just <laughs> smacks her. And then he has to explain to his date when she comes back from the restroom, like, you know, I would never hit a girl, but she was coming at me with a deadly weapon. But a girl so, with a bottle, I defend myself there, Chloe. Uh, it's so uh, good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite moments in the film. Well, I think the setup even starts in the beginning. So when they're doing their sightseeing on the first day, I, I love when uh, Brendan's like, oh, we're going to go up to the top of the tower. And Colin's like, what's up there? The view? The view of down here? I can see down here from down here. <laughs> but then you have Ken go in and try. He's like, oh, I want to try and pay with coins. And he's like 10 cents short. And the guy's like, no, not happening. So like you set up that he has this change in his pocket, which comes up later. And then you set up that the guy taking tickets at the tower is kind of an asshole. Which comes up later. This whole movie, like I said, is set up. One set up after another. And it's... Well, glorious. and then right after that, he gets to the top of the tower and Ken, Brendan Gleeson, pretends to shoot Colin Farrell from the top of the tower. He's like looking down at all the people and he sees Colin Farrell walking around and he pretends to shoot at him. It's kind of weird because at that point there's no like animosity. There's no tension between these two characters. So as a first time watcher, I was kind of wondering why, you know, why that was in there. But it's just, you know, it's another kind of setup for a joke. A lot of also like alternating alternative um, expectations for this film too, right? You think one character is going to do something or you know something very specific is going to happen, and then the film is like, "Nah, it's going to go this way now." And you're like, "Oh, I didn't, I did not see that coming," you know? Right. No, absolutely. I I think the next little part of that, um, Colin sitting on the bench, and this these fat Americans come up to him, and he's okay. They're not Americans. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. They have a, a like a European. I don't want to say English because it might be like Scottish, but they had an accent. I, th I think they're supposed to be Americans, what, whatever their accents may be. No, he just um, called them fat because, you know, all Americans are fat. But the... No, he called, I think he called them fat, and I'm calling them fat because they were fat. Yeah, but he called them Americans because they were fat, and I don't even think they were American. Well, in the end, there's a callback that the reason the tower is closed is because an American had a heart attack the day before. Did this whole movie take place in like two days? Yes. But I, I, I love him sitting there like, oh yeah, you're, you're not going to go up there. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's all windy stairs. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, what, what do you not understand? You're fucking <laughs> like, and then him chasing them around is like probably the most slapstick, overly like comedic moment. But it, I know I it's stupid. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> I love when Ken comes out of the tower and they're like walking towards the tower and he's just like very politely like, oh man, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Very, <laughs> Screw very. Screw you, motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, because like they're both telling them out of concern. Colin is like much more less worried about offending them. And Brennan's just like trying to be very nice. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, no, that, that's part that like, I think it was probably in the trailer, but um, every time I see that scene, it makes me laugh. Probably one of my favorites. Then there's this part right after that every time I watch this movie confuses me because Colin's like one one gay beer for my gay friend and then one normal beer for me. And I was like, oh, Brendan Gleeson's gay in this. And then later on, you find out that he had a wife. And I'm like, every single time that part confuses me. And then I just realized like, once again, Colin Farrell, like Ray is an asshole in this movie and like just 
completely like just says whatever he wants yeah there's a i mean staying in like the politically correct lane here there is a lot of jokes that are just outrightly offensive um but like you said the character colin farrell's character is supposed to be outrightly offensive Um, he is the he's the he's the most offensive character in the movie i guess besides maybe jimmy jimmy like colin's colin's body of work is quantity and then jimmy's body of offensive work is is quality like there's one scene where jimmy just far and away beats everyone and i think we'll get to that maybe not in detail because i don't really want to touch it but um well we can we can just touch on it now real quick uh the the (laughs) i love jimmy's like (laughs) his his intolerance comes off as humorous only because you think that colin farrell's character is so you know racist and offensive but then put him up against jimmy in a room and the entire time uh colin farrell is trying to like hey man that's not okay like <laughs> well, i just love so jimmy, that sort of stuff so, so jimmy is a is a little person who colin meets as they're filming a movie um and then <laughs> that's when he also meets chloe um and then later on, he sees Jimmy uh, walking across the street, and he waves. And I love when Jimmy doesn't wave back. Colin Farrell is just like so offended and hurt that he's like, <laughs> "This fucking cunt!" <laughs> like he didn't wave back at him. Um, and so then later on, he like approaches him at a bar and pokes him in the face. And he's like, "Why didn't you wave back at me?" And he's like, "I." It's some of my favorite lines. He's like. I wasn't waving to anyone. I was on a very high horse tranquilizer. He's like, I may have been waving to horses. He's like, what are you saying? He's like, nothing, just horse shit. (laughs) But then it goes into a scene where they're all doing coke and other drugs. And then Jimmy starts talking about how there's going to be a race war, which obviously super purposely offensive. But it is funny how Colin Farrell is trying to think of like what what rate what ethnicity can he come up with that would be hard for jimmy to categorize and of course jimmy's just even being worse and then ken talks about how his wife was black and in 1976 she was killed and um harry waters took care of the killer which by the way i was reading there's a deleted scene i don't know if this connects to ken's wife but there's a deleted scene, and the point of the scene, and we'll talk about Harry a little bit more, is to kind of develop Harry's character as being very principled. And Harry finds a woman that's been murdered, um, and it turns out it was mur- she was murdered by like a dirty detective. And Harry goes into the police station and decapitates the detective right in the police station. And the only reason they took it out of the movie is because they said the CGI looked so fake that they couldn't keep it in but they really like wanted to keep the scene in. Where would that have, where, where would that scene even go? So it was a flashback that was gonna, it would probably would have gone in that scene when he's describing what happened, if it was his wife who that scene is about, Ken's ex-wife, you know, former wife, right. widow. No, he's the widow. But the, the Harry was played by Matt Smith, who I think is the, um, the doctor. One of the doctors, yeah. Right. I think he's, he's the one who I would consider the one who's, I always think was the doctor, but. Oh, I always um, thought for that for, to be a uh, David Tennant, but go, go ahead. I've never seen an episode. Yeah, me either. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So then, you know, Ken's just described, and basically then Ken leaves. And he's like, you know, just the fucking racist dwarf and uh, you know, a bunch of prostitutes. <laughs> and then I, my favorite part of that scene is Colin Farrell grabbing up all the drugs and Jimmy trying to stop him. And Colin Farrell gets in a karate stance. He's like, you don't know karate. And then he just chops Jimmy in the neck and he falls down. I remember what I was going to say. Uh, the entire time, like as a way to like woo, uh, what's the girl's name? Chloe. Chloe. So, so as, a, as a way to woo Chloe, the first time they meet, he starts talking all this like statistical facts about how 
many times uh, little people kill themselves. And when he brings this up to Jimmy, who's, you know, a little person, Jimmy's like, well, that's horrible, Fuck, man. I don't like, want to talk. About why do you, this. why do you bring this up? This is awful. I don't want, I don't want to know this. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite running, like, <laughs> I guess this is kind of a running joke in the, in the film, just because I don't know if he's right. Maybe he's right. And he can never remember like all the famous little people that have killed themselves. But then he's so like determined on remembering. And it's like, why are you bothering with this like really like sensitive, you know, information? Well, yeah. So when he meets Chloe, it's, it's the night after their first, uh, their first day in Bruges. And he, he sees um, Jimmy and then he just immediately sees Chloe and wants to hit on her. And his opening lines are about the statistics of little people killing themselves. And then my favorite part is like, it's not the R2-D2 man. He's still with us. And he's like, all I'm just saying is that if, you know, if, you're, if your little person kills themselves, that would fuck your movie up. But then it turns out that she's like, she's just a drug dealer anyway who doesn't like work on the movie. She just supplies drugs to the crew and to Jimmy. Right. Um, that, I think that is the scene where he meets Chloe is Colin Farrell at his most awkward in this movie. His most vulnerable I love when he says, you know, I'll tell you what I do for a living at dinner tomorrow night. And she just laughs in his face. And, and he feels like really sad, like really embarrassed about it. Really embarrassed. And then uh, like a second later, she's like, oh, I blew it. And then she like, it's such a badass move, just drops her card on the ground, which I guess drug dealers in Belgium have cards. Why um, not? And he's like, oh, fucking badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, his... His his meeting with Chloe, I was uh, I was very taken by Chloe when I first saw this movie. So we talked about their dates with the Canadians that he like sucker punched, uh, but then at the, at the same time that he's like making out with her on I guess her 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 bed, uh, Ken gets a call from Harry finally, right? And it leads to a very hilarious scene between Ken and the voice of uh, Ray Fiennes. Yeah, what you said, I, I guess I want to ask you a couple of things. You said, one, you didn't know it was Ray Fiennes, right? Oh, no, I thought it sounded like a different actor to me. Whose name you don't want to say for fear of embarrassment. No, 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty certain his name is pronounced Bill Nye, uh, but it's the, it's the English Bill Nye, not the not, science guy. Not the science guy. Right. Got you. Uh, it sounded like him, and then when I saw that it was uh, Ralph Fiennes, I was like, "Huh, doesn't uh, doesn't sound like him. Doesn't sound like Fiennes." But I, I hope I, I hope in real life this is closer to his real voice instead of like the James Bond movies. That was that's my hope. No, I'm pretty sure Ralph Fiennes' real real voice is uh, the boy who live, come to die also funny his name is harry uh the other thing i was wondering is i noticed more this time that uh in the bar scene ray and ken are talking about how it's a little bit over elaborate to send them to bruges right did you think this was going to lead to some like hitman caper yes but also like none of the rest of the movie set it up that way like only that line was like oh yeah it's so elaborate and I was like all right where are they going with this I mean to be honest with you David it's like this entire movie I was just kind of along for the ride um, for the majority of it and I was like all right what is this about where is this gonna go and then you know as soon as uh Harry tells Ken you know off the kid talking about Colin Farrell Ray um you kind of very clearly see everything from there to the ending, kind of like fall into place, you know? Right. Um, but I just, I love how, so when I, you know, coming into this movie almost completely, you know, unaware of what, where this is going, what this is about, that, that phone call where Harry is making sure that um, Colin Farrell is out of the room and, you know, Ken is alone, that had me a lot, like, very tense and uh, suspense-filled scene. 
just because of how many like I think it has to do with with uh Ken's pacing throughout the room like he's by the door and then he goes by the window and then he lays on the bed and then he gets up from the bed and I was like I was convinced at some point that Harry was either right outside the door going to shoot Ken or had a sniper set up outside the window and going to shoot through the window. I was like, who's freaking going to die? Because I feel like someone is, you know? Yeah, the sniper subplot. Um, I I don't know how I felt the first time I saw it. I just know that every time since, it's one of my favorite scenes. Um, just <laughs> Ken, Brendan Gleeson, like lying that that Ray is still there because he's supposed to be there because that's what they're told to do. And then Harry wanting him gone. So then he has to fake him leaving. And then Harry's like, oh, I need you to confirm that he's not outside the door. So then he has to go open the door again. And then Ken acting like Harry's basically his father who he doesn't want to disappoint because he kind of makes fun of Bruges a little bit and says like, you know, oh, Colin Farrell doesn't really like it. He's like, how can he not like it? And he's like, oh, he just, he didn't, he didn't like the, the first bit, but no, like once he saw the canals and the, the fairy tale, like he's really into it. And it just like starts making up this lies. And, and then, then the lie like, gets more elaborate. Cause he's like, Oh, he says it was like a dream. And then he makes him repeat the line again. Yeah. It was great. Like, and then that just leads to you figuring out that Harry sent them to Bruges to give Colin Farrell one last like vacation before he, he's murdered. Uh, and I love how this sets it up because now you know that, you know, Harry wants Colin Farrell dead. Ken is going to do it. And it cuts to back in Chloe's apartment where they're making out on the bed. And then a gun shows up at the back of Colin uh, Farrell's head. But it's not Ken. It's, you know, some strung it's out. Eric. Eric. Strung yeah, out so drug dealer, Chloe's ex-boyfriend, con artist guy. They also set that up, too, because, uh, you know, they're at the restaurant. The date seems to be going pretty horribly. I do like the setup before that um, where, you know, it's the next morning after Colin Farrell has come in from drinking for no apparent reason. <laughs> I like how he's like, I had seven glasses and six bottles, and I'm not even, <laughs> not even shit-faced. Um, but then the next day, uh, you know, they received a note from Ray Fiennes, and it's like read to you in Ray Fine's voice, which I really appreciated. But right. basically it's like, you both need to be in there tomorrow night when I call. And so at breakfast, Ken is telling Colin Farrell like, hey, we have to stay in. He's like, well, really only one of us has to stay in. He's like, well, I thought you hated Bruges. I was like, it's a shithole, but I have a date. And I already told you I had a date. So, but my favorite line is like, all right, well, that's fine. But then this morning and this afternoon, we're doing everything I want to do. And Ray's like, I presume that's going to be a lot of culture. And he's like, my favorite line is, we're going to strike a very nice balance between culture and fun. And then Colin Farrell's like, yeah, but knowing you, it's uh, Neil's going to lean more on the culture side. I, I love when they go to the church and he's like, that is supposed to hold Jesus's blood. And he's like, come up with me and touch it. He's like, do I have to touch it? He's like, it's Jesus's to? blood. Do you have to? Of course you don't fucking have to. You don't fucking have to. It's so great. And then uh, Taylor leans next to me and she's like, me trying to get you to do anything. <laughs> I was like, yep. And then after that, you finally see the flashback of what Colin Farrell did. And did you like the, uh, the Syrian Hines cameo? I did. I was like, wow, he's a, uh, he's a big part of this. I wonder how, uh, you know, how much he is in the rest of the, m oh. The fifth Harry Potter member to make it on this uh, movie. What was he in Harry Potter? Albus Dumbledore's brother. Oh. In the last movie. Oh. I had to look it up to remember it, so don't feel bad. The one thing I really, that always bothers me when I see the scene is the bullet hole, like, makes no sense on the kid. The kid is facing perpendicular to where Colin Farrell shot from, but the bullet hole is in the front of his head. I, no, I mean, it's, it's a graze. It grazed it, David. No, it looks like an exit wound. It's not an exit wound. It, it's, um, it grazed it like this. But I guess it did it just enough to kill him. Yeah, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. I, I find it to be weird. 
I mean, it's still weird. Either, either they way, they just you... have him face the other way, have him facing straight on. Because the uh, pews yeah. don't, the pews don't aim face that way. It doesn't. It was like the the note he had about what he was asking for, like penance for of like I'm bad at maths. Uh, like is always like makes me laugh, and then also makes me sad because it's like a little boy died. Yeah. Also, he was like Harry. Wa- Before shooting him, he says Harry Waters says hello, and I was like. Oh, why are they killing a priest? This like priest molests someone, and then Harry Waters is like getting the revenge, right? But then it's like he's like the boy, the little boy. I was like, oh, he molested a little boy, or is Harry Waters the little boy? And then no, it's like he said, oh, the little boy that died. I was like, well, in the there is a deleted scene apparently, which uh, Ray and Ken are like discussing whether it was the fact that the priest. Um, molested someone and then they also thought it might be like a land deal uh that harry was kind of like interested in and um so but i don't know that it matters it's it's like such it's just a flashback to show you like to confirm you know why we're in bruges why we're here what what he did um when eric holds him up at gunpoint and then the only time there's two parts in this film where like Colin Farrell's kind of, you know, kind of a badass. One is when he takes the gun away from Eric. And I love Chloe is like, you know, Eric pulls a knife, Colin uh, Farrell has the gun and Chloe is like, Oh, it's full of blanks. And he just shoots it off to the side. It's like, ah, shit, it is full of blanks. And then he just shoots him in the eye with it. Right. And the point I was trying to make before I got very appealed, though, is that after dinner, um, where Ray has been super, like, offensive and even makes a purposely offensive joke about Bruges and, like, child abuse murders in her hometown and then beating up a woman, even though she had a bottle, um, afterwards, you know, Ray's like, oh, I really fucked this up. I can't believe I messed this up. And she kisses him. She's like, I have to go make a phone call. And then afterwards when the ex-boyfriend shows up and gets shot in the eye she's like why did you come tonight i told you not to come because of that phone call she had called him and been like it's off you know we're not doing it to this guy yeah which it's really like what at what point did colin farrell woo her was it 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 almost has to be like the the bravado to tell that bruise joke (laughs) though it's like the worst thing you could have done i mean colin farrell is a good looking guy right like Yes. Decently good looking? No, not decently good looking. Extremely good looking. good looking? Yeah, he's in the extremely category. So that's probably why, right? I also love the, the Eric screaming, I can't see, and Colin just turns him, of course you can't see, I shot a blank in your fucking eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Um, so yeah. after, well, hold on. So Chloe has to take Eric to the hospital. Uh Colin Farrell grabs a bunch of drugs, heads out, meets Ken at a bar, and that's yep. where the whole Jimmy thing happens. Right. And the only the only part I did want to repeat of Jimmy's race war discussion was Ken explaining that he had a black wife that was killed. And so he's like, Jimmy, where do I end up in your whole fucking race war? You know, before he storms off. And Jimmy's like, I don't know. I think you have to look at all your options and just let your conscience guide you, which is... Like, uh, um, and then he karate chops Jimmy. They leave. Um, and this leads to probably one of my favorite characters, Yuri. Like, this is the part of the movie that me and my wife quite so, quote to each other so much about the alcoves. <laughs> oh, like uh, nooks and crannies? Oh, nooks and crannies. Is I should say nooks and crannies instead of alcoves? See, this part doesn't make sense to me because it, it it's kind of like that misguiding the audience until you kind of figure out exactly what's happening because they do everything together right so the fact that ken leaves early in the morning to go meet with yuri and buy a gun or get a gun i guess um and then you know you see that colin farrell is awake and crying and so for me i thought okay he knows he must know why would ken leave they do everything together so he's leaving without telling him he's crying he must know. And then it's not that at all. And it took, that took me by, uh, by some surprise. 
I do think, and I think a lot of this, there's some stuff you can miss. The dialogue is so fast and also their, you know, their accents, they're both Irish um, and they're both playing Irish characters. And so at one, when they're doing, you know, when they're talking about the whole lollipop man thing and the bottle thing and they go off and then Colin's like, you know, I'm trying to talk to you about what happened. And I think you see the flashback around then. Um, you know, Ken is telling him about how it'll go away. And then Colin's like, well, the only way it'll go away is if I go away. And Ken's like, you can't think like that. You can't do that. And so they do, there are hints that this is what's going to happen. But I do love the fact that, so Colin Farrell has decided to commit suicide because he can't live with the fact that he killed his kid. Right. And Harry tells Ken he has to kill Colin Farrell. And Ken is walking up to kill Colin Farrell. But because Colin Farrell is going to kill himself, Ken can't do it and like yells at him to not shoot himself and then takes his gun away. And the whole irony, which both Colin Farrell and Harry point out, is that if you just let it hit, you know, if you let him kill himself, he would be happier, I would be happier, and you would be happier, you know? Yeah, the fact that Harry's like incredulous at Ken because, hold on a second, so he was going to kill himself, which would have taken care of all of our problems. Um, I also really love how he was going to, because that gun, as far as I'm concerned, is still full of blanks, right? No. So after Chloe leaves with her ex, he's like going through her drawers and he finds all of her drugs and then he finds real bullets. Oh, well, I missed the going through her drawer scene. I don't know what I was doing, but I missed that scene. Oh, that's how he got the ecstasy. Right. That's how he got the the ecstasy. Okay. Okay. See, I... I must have like walked away for a second. I don't, I don't know, honestly. I do love how uh, Ken tells uh, Ray, he's like, you're not allowed to kill yourself. He's like, so you're, I'm not allowed to kill myself, but you're allowed to kill me? That's not fair. That whole scenario is just so funny. And I guess that's like the, the whole, like the heart of the movie, right? It's like suicide, completely inappropriate, very taboo, very, you know, sad but they turn it on its head in such a way that it's just like one of the funniest parts of this film. Um, and I love the scene where it's almost like we see Harry for the first time and he gets all this info and he's, you know, incredibly mad, but then it's just one of those, you know, typical scenes that mostly belongs to like an action hero. Right. But it's given to the villain and he's like, all right, well, I guess if you want a job done, you got to go do it yourself, you know? Right, well, this is because Ken puts Ray on a train, which, by the way, Ken took Ray's gun. And if you think about it, so Ray eventually gets stopped on the train and arrested because, you know, there's two points in the movie where there's, like, things that are just the writing of it. You're like, that's, that's either extremely lucky or that's almost like a plot hole. But the fact that he gets on a train... To, to anywhere in Europe, just like he's just picking on a map, like so that they don't know where he's going. And the Canadians are on the train. So if he had still had his gun, a probably, I don't know, unregistered, I don't know Belgium gun laws, but like he would have been in a lot more trouble. Yeah. I love the line where, you know, Harry is, or Ken is telling Harry where he is at. And he's like, he's an any of the many, many towns in Europe, but I can tell you, sure, sure the fuck isn't in this one. And then he's in Bruges. Uh, the writing for this film is really good. Well, my- like, I, I, can, I, I know why this is like one of your favorite films. It is incredibly uh, witty and smart about its humor. Well, not only that too, just real quick, but like the music is so great too. Like the music cues throughout are like, they're really well done and they don't really match like a a comedy. They match almost like a drama action movie. Yeah, the only time that I kind of noticed the music for me being a little out of place, and this is jumping right to the end. So I just- Rock and roll chase scene? Yeah. Yeah, I I just noticed it for the first time today and I was like, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. No, that's the only one. I mean, it kind of fit because all of a sudden now we're like hardcore action film and that for that fits there, but it's so out of place for the rest of the, for the rest of the film. But then again, I guess you could say like that scene is out of place from the rest of the film. Right. And then the other thing I was going to say is the acting is so amazing in this. Like Chloe is so amazing. Uh, played by Clemens Posey. 
Colin Farrell is so amazing. Brendan Gleeson is so amazing. And Ray Fiennes, like, he almost steals the show only being in it for, like, 15 minutes. And, my fa- like, my favorite part is him breaking the phone and his <laughs> wife coming in. It's an inanimate fucking object. You're an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if I'm going to take a, a quote away from this film, uh, it's going to be that one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite line from this movie. I think my favorite scene too with him is, and we'll get to it more in detail, but the uh, the shootout, like, kind of standoff in the hotel room. My favorite scene with Ray Fiennes, and I think my my top favorite scene in the whole film, is when he's talking to Brennan Gleeson in that little like cafe, and Brennan Gleeson calls him a cunt. <laughs> and his and his fucking kids a cunt. And you then, take that right back about my fucking cunt kids. That's out of order, mate. <laughs> so he's so offended. He's like, you can call me that, but you leave my kids out of it. I and retract it, the part about your cunt kids. Unbe- that is, I think, the one of the funniest scenes in the film, if not the funniest to me, at no, least. That absolutely is. That also, too, um, it leads to them, Harry and Ken, going up to the tower. And I, I love... You know, the guy that takes tickets in the beginning was kind of like prickish and cold. But when Harry hands him the $100 and tells him we only need 20 minutes and he starts poking him in the head, like I love Ken's reaction of just like walking away like, oh, you fucked up. And then he just starts pistol whipping the dude. Uh, but then, right, because that scene, everything kind of falls into place. And I love all the, you know, people are, cro- like, people we've seen throughout the film are crossing each other in the square. You got Chloe and Ray sitting at a table making out. Or actually, at this point, they're, like, standing up making out right as uh, Ken and Harry pass them. And then, you know, they sit at a cafe table. Jimmy comes up wearing this schoolboy uniform and and then you see eric I, it's so great how everything just falls into like perfect um you know sync no absolutely i also like too they set up harry's character very quickly just as like he's he's very principled oh right so when he goes to meet yuri and get the gun the blind boy, Eric, is like telling him, oh, you know, what happened? And he's like, well, you know, I mean, that's what you deserve. He's like, and Eric kind of gets mad at him. He's like, I thought you didn't like this guy. And he's like, I don't like this guy. But that doesn't mean he didn't stitch you up and like you get what you deserve. Right. Um, he's just like, he sees the world very black and white. And so, you know, he says to Ken, he's like, you kill, if I had killed the kid, I would have shot myself on the fucking spot. And again, and- there's, that, there's that like really famous setup for the movie, you know? So then that leads to Ken and Harry at the top of the tower and Ken convinces Harry not to shoot him because he let Ray go. So as they're walking down, Eric has spotted Ray and is running up the tower and then tells him, Hey, that guy you're looking for is here. And so Ken's uh, Ken is overpowered by Harry and gets shot in the neck. The, the part that is like the height on that tower tower seems to be very like adjustable Right. The fact that, like, with the hole in his neck, he was able to crawl back up. Like, they must have been right at the top of it. That's what I assume. Um, but then also, it just it didn't seem that tall. And then the fact that he has the coins and he drops them. And the smack when he hits the ground. First of all, I think I love the, like, it's like the Raglan Road song that's playing. Like, the old Irish, like, sea shanty almost. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with the sea. No, it's a sea shanty. You were right. Wow, good job. I don't think it has anything to do with the sea, though. It's about Ragland Road. It's a road. Oh, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Anyway, um, he smacks the ground. And it's a lot of blood. I, I don't think he would have survived long enough to even warn Colin Farrell. Um, no, it I was just, very, like, plot device Right. Um, and then the gun is exploded. I do like the part where he's dropping all the pennies and everyone gets out of the way. I thought that part was clever. And it's possible he would have survived long enough, but it's like, uh. I seriously thought, so the way I thought this movie was going is first I thought he was going to like shoot someone from the top of that. Um, then I was like, oh my God, no. He is going 
to time it just right. So when Harry walks out of the building, he crushes him with his body. <laughs> and then I was like, that is also not, uh, that's not what's happening either. Uh, so I was like very confused at that moment because I thought that scene was going to go in so many more ways than the one it actually went. Um, but yeah, I love how uh, blind boy Eric is the one who gave away that uh, Colin was uh, was there. I also love how Chloe and Colin were like, to Eric, like, hey, look, I know we've had like our differences and I blinded you, but why don't you sit down at our table? And then he just books it. And I was like, something's happening. Right. And then this, of course, leads to the chase scene with the music we didn't like. One thing that kind of struck me this last time when I watched it was if Colin doesn't go back to the hotel, he won't have the gun, but also Harry will probably not find him. Yeah, if he, he just like leaves, took off. right? Yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, so I, I would guess, but you do, you do want the gun. Um, the lines between Harry, Ray, and the uh, Marie, the owner of the hotel, are so great. <laughs> I love just the plan of like, what if, how about this? I'll run to the window and jump in the canal, and you then run outside, and you can shoot at me from there. <laughs> and Marie's just like, you guys are fucking crazy. I also love, because that also establishes even more of Harry's principles, right? He's like, I'm not going to have a shootout in here with a pregnant woman being you know in in the line of fire i'm gonna wait for her to leave then we'll do this thing like it establishes even more like yeah he's a bad guy who wants our main character dead but like he has his morals he has his standards um which again is establishing even more setup to a bigger payoff and i love it when he jump uh colin farrell jumps out the window lands on a boat and of course the gun flies out of his hand and, and falls into the water. And then Ray Fiennes is aiming the gun at him. And instead of like ducking out of the way or jumping out of the water, he's just like so confident that it's far enough away that it's not going to hit him. Right. Well, I mean, Harry was missing him from like 15 feet away in an alley earlier. So it's, I, my, my favorite part though, real quick of the hotel scene before the very end is, uh, when Marie's like, why don't you guys just go home? And he's like, don't be stupid. This is the shootout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what, one thing I didn't notice, and I'm going to admit that I read this off the internet. So after uh, Colin gets shot and then sort of runs into the movie filming and Harry follows him in, I didn't notice this, but it's supposed to mirror the painting they were talking about in the art museum where it's like hell or purgatory because yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of peasants and then a bunch of people in masks to look like that oh and then there's this whole symbolism where how um colin harry shoots colin farrell in the back to kill him to make up for you know what you know to make right the fact that colin farrell killed this kid but in doing so harry shot uh jimmy the dwarf in the head and he used the dum-dums that Yuri gave him. We kind of skipped that scene. I do love where uh, he, he shows him the Uzi, and he's like, an Uzi? I need a normal gun for a normal person. <laughs> but then the dum-dum hits Jimmy in the head and blows his head up. So Harry thinks that a child has been shot. And so Harry, as principled as he is, is like, well, I know what I have to do. And it, the, the person on the internet was talking about how Colin Farrell tried to stop Harry from shooting himself because Harry didn't actually kill a child, but Harry doesn't listen to him and kills himself. And they talked about how like Bru like that was gonna be, you know, Colin Farrell was going to die and, you know, go to hell, but because he tried to save Harry from killing himself, it was like sort of his like making up for that. And so now like he was saved and he got to live. He got to live at the end of the movie. And that's sort of that monologue you hear of him like, you know, I want to live. And it's actually established like in the script that he lived. But then they also talk about how Bruce is just purgatory, like stuck for the rest of your life. And that's like this whole movie, right? Right. Because Colin Farrell is stuck in purgatory until Harry or Ken decide what happens to him. And Ken tries to send him away. And 
Harry or yeah, Ken tries to send him away, and Harry's trying to come to send him to hell. Right, and then even when Ken tries to send him away, it's just like destiny that he gets you know on the same thing with the on the same train with the Canadians, and then gets sent back. Almost like um, almost like a outside force is is not letting him ever leave Bruges, which I really like. And and I guess that is my ultimate question, right? Is I know we get the monologue in the end that he really wants to live and he's kind of accepted Bruges as his purgatory where he like belongs. But the dude was shot in the back with dum-dum bullets five times. Does he live? Yeah. Okay. I think it's established more in like a deleted scene, but I mean also 50 Cent was shot nine times and he lived. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's well, doable. Okay. My, my point is though is I do... If it is okay, if there is in existence such a deleted scene to unwaverly establish that he lives at the end of the film, I do like this cut of the movie where it is uncertain. I do like how they kind of keep you in the dark about does he live? Is he alive? You know, um, I think the movie ends with this. With, ambiguous ending. Well, with the ambiguous ending, it's like this uh, feeling of uncertainty, and I think this type of movie should leave you like feeling like that, you know? Right. I think it for me it leans more, and maybe that's just I'm like a positive, want things to be happy person. But I think it leans a little bit in the direction of him living, even in this, the way it's filmed, just him wanting to live and like. <laughs> I love when he says. Maybe hell is just eternity in, in Bruges. But then he sees Chloe and he's like, all of a sudden I want to live for some reason. It's like, well, because you see Chloe. Um, but I think I, I agree with you that I liked the little bit of uncertainty. I just always chose to believe that um, he lived. Well, also a nice reason for, for his character to st- you know be alive by the end of the m- movie is that can uh, Brennan Gleeson's sacrifice would not go in vain. Um, right. So that's also like a nice sentiment to, uh, towards his character. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, as soon as you see Jimmy, the dwarf, dressed up as the schoolboy, you kind of see this ending all playing out, being like, okay, Harry's going to shoot him, think he's a boy, and then his principal is going to force him to kill himself. Um, but yeah, I do like how, what you said about how in his last moments, uh, Colin Farrell tries to kind of save Harry. Like I, like I said before, Three Billboards was my, one of my favorite films. When I saw it, I loved it. I loved the, the writing and the characters and how everything kind of just fall into place. And I feel like this is that, but British, and turn the dial to 11. The writing, the wit, everything is so great. I also really like how the amount of fucks or like variations of fucks in this film it's probably our most like f-bomb dropped movie we've reviewed on i finally watched and then in turn because of that this is probably as like more than any other episode we put out as the amount of curse words we've said uh i think You've been very effusive in your praise of this movie. So just really quickly tell the people how much you love this movie and that you're going to watch it again. I think it'll be a little bit. Um, I did watch it like twice in a row and I did really enjoy it. And like I said, I think if you like, uh, if you like dark British humor, dry, very dark humor, mixed with kind of like an action-y feel, you'd really, really like this movie. And I stand by that. Every time I watch this movie, it kind of makes me remember how much I love it. And like, it does put it up there as kind of one of my favorite movies ever. And I also think we need to do his brother's movies, um, The Guard and Calvary, because Calvary is one of my favorite movies of the decade, like the 2010s, came out in 2014. It stars Brendan Gleeson. So those are definitely two episodes I want to do. So I guess that means we're going to keep doing the podcast for a while longer. Also, another uh, reason we're going to keep doing the podcast longer is because even though In Bruges is a, is a film that you've wanted me to watch for a very long time, uh, in turn, Inside Lewin Davis is a film that I want you to, you to watch and have been wanting you to watch for a very long time. So 
Let's huh? have it come out. Let's have it come out Monday. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David, and this is Alan, and I finally watched In Bruges.